Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale January 25th, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Strada. The M stands for Magnolia. Magnolia. Not the movie, but the flower. Like the bakery, but not the bakery. That's a movie? Yeah, it's a great movie. We're not going to talk about this right now because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we give you some details, some reasons, some... Uh, fun hype to check out every new Marvel comic every week. We'll give you our three personal picks for the books that we absolutely want you to buy. We'll also tell you a bit about every issue coming out this week that aren't our picks. We'll pick a favorite non-spoilery reason for you to check out each issue. Uh, and we're going to give an award to those reasons. We're going to pull that award from a quote in one of the this week's comics. We'll talk all about that in a little bit. Plus, we'll run through the new Infinity comics hitting Marvel Unlimited. Some highlights from the issues that are new to Marvel Unlimited this week. And some of our picks for collections on sale this week. And on top of that, oh my god, there's so much on the show. We're joined by a guest for a reading club focused on some comics you can read in Marvel Unlimited. Jasmine, who are we talking to? We are going to be talking to Emily Kim about Astonishing X-Men Unstoppable, one of my favorite X-Men stories of all time, easily the best Kitty Pride story of all time. Uh, it covers Astonishing X-Men's issue 19 through 24 and uh, Giant Size Astonishing X-Men number one. Yeah. Well, let's get hyped up with our picks for the week. I'm going to kick things off with Amazing Spider-Man number 18. And we we debated this as we were figuring out our picks of the week because we've picked Amazing Spider-Man during Dark Web almost every issue, if Easily. not every issue. It's just so good. I can't help it. It's so good. Issue 18 here, written by Zeb Wells, pencils by Ed McGinnis, inks by Cliff Rathburn, colors by Marcio Meniz and Eric Arseniega, lettering by Joe Caramagna. And uh, there's a really great variant cover. There's two variant covers by Ed McGinnis. Uh, one of them I, I really loved is by Ed, Cliff, and Marcio, which features Spidey against the Insidious Six, the demonic mm, twisted versions of uh, Spidey's Sinister Six that he's been fighting in limbo. But really star of the show as has been for uh an issue when he first appeared in like the very end is rec rap everything rec rap is all i have ever wanted in comic books rec rap is a demon from limbo who is inspired by spider-man got a symbiote and has taken on a um an homage personality as it were he is funny ridiculous huge ed mcginnis of course draws big characters like nobody else and so we get to see uh rec rap shooting webs like bullets and then he's got his like tongue out and like, nah, 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 pow, 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 pow. it's so much fun i adore his catchphrases like web wanging i was web dying when i read so these. good and when he calls himself the web whipping wall prancer i lost it it's beautiful i love it rec rap forever it's so good uh, this issue is a key one for Dark Web, the crossover between the X-Men and Spider-Man. Uh, big moves for who's in control of Limbo. That's a huge part of this issue. Really sets us up for the end of Dark Web, which is going to come in, I think it's next week. So that's going to be huge. But, I mean, such gorgeous art. Uh, Zeb Wells, he's great. We love Zeb. He's a sweetheart. But the art is so gorgeous. Ed is a legend. Ed McGinnis. There's this page where you can see a bunch of the characters and then um, in really great detail, but then it, there's this big boom and the way that Ed does the shading for it and the, that feeling of an explosion. It's just, it's beautiful stuff. Of course, the Insidious Six I mentioned earlier, they rule. There's a really fun panel where one of them says, yeah, bad time to be a giant face because he's a giant face getting punched and it's so good. Uh, there's another one where they're like, if we all say our names, we'll be here forever trying to trap Spidey and Rec Rap in limbo. So much great stuff. Uh, ultimately, this ends with a really great couple of moments as the group who has to go up against the main adversaries at the end of this comes together. You get that feeling, that swell of excitement and heroism. Hell of a story. So good. So good. And I know we talked about how we had to narrow it down and we decided to keep Amazing Spider-Man in our picks mm -hmm. of the week, but I only allowed it because I had to go with my next pick of the week, Exterminators, issue number five. It's written by Leo Williams, uh, art by Carlos Gomez, colors by Brian Valenza, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And I think I picked all five issues of the series just because it is so, 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 so good. Leia just continues to wow us with these stories, as well as Carlos Gomez is like, you can see the love that he has for these characters in this book because he just draws them with such like 
care and just there's i've never seen better acting in like face facial like acting in a, mm-hmm. in a comic than within this book just because you like i mean we've heard uh leia tell us like how much carlos has like fallen in love with dazzler um and you can see it in this like everything from the poses that she makes to the like the strikes that she makes the like at one point she like nearly like curb stomps someone with a roller skate which is <laughs> insane but like it's just it looks so good I adore this series. It's the last issue of this uh, of this mini series, and it's it could not be a more perfect ending for this book. It is our four girls, Boom Boom, Dazzler, Wolverine, and Jubilee, just going going out with the bang, to put it lightly. And they do not hold back the everything from what they say to what they wear to like I mean like except for Wolverine because she never wears cute outfits, but like. Everything from the costuming. She, she would have. That's the best part. She's like, nobody told me we were wearing cute outfits. It's great. But they like are literally going against the collector in this book. Like Jubilee is one on one taking on the collector, which is just outstanding. And the the thing that she does to absolutely like, break him is crazy. And the the result that leaves her pretty much naked and bald um, is just so funny. And like I, I like I don't. There's so many things I want to talk about, but I can't because there's so many gags and spoilers here. But I like cannot get more hyped about the fact that this book ends with the exterminators will return. We don't know when, we don't know where, but they are coming back. Um, I cannot be more excited. Definitely pick this up. Pick up this collection once it hits. Uh, you know, like becomes a trade paperback. We need more of this because I ha- we haven't had a book like this in a long time at Marvel, and we need more. All right, on to Sins of Sinister number one. This is a big one because it's the kickoff of a, an event within the X-Books, Sins of Sinister number one. There's a really great cover. I know I'm, I'm spotlighting some cool covers uh, that I want people to check out. I know we got a lot of listeners who are variant heads. Um, there's one that is a an homage to Strike Force Moratory, which, Jasmine, did we do that on the show? We haven't done it yet. Oh, Strike Force Moratory is so good. It's a It's a kind of forgotten classic uh, from back in the day, but it's a variant by Joshua Kassara and Frank Martin. And I immediately was like, I love this variant. Uh, Sins of Sinister is wild. It is really coming immediately off of what had happened in, I think it was last week's Immortal X-Men, where we saw that Charles Xavier was not exactly the Charles Xavier we were expecting. So this issue, everything is sinister. There's Basically, Sinister is is has a plan to take over all of reality, all of Earth, all of everything, and he's been using the uh, clones of Moira McTaggart with her mutant power to reset time as his like way to to go back. And so he's like been doing this and doing this and doing this. So this is the culmination of all of his plans. It's delightfully horrifying. In all my favorite, you know, what if stories, it's. I want to see everyone dead. I want nightmares. I want sadness. I want all that stuff. And this is, in some ways, what if Mr. Sinister took over the planet? Um, and But at the same time, you are in reality. It's not a what if. It is not a, 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 an alternate reality. This is what's going on. And so we get this great montage. There's a whole bunch of incredible uh, artists and that come in for the um, some like guest pages. There's a montage here in which we get to see all the terrible, terrible things that Sinister, his plans are enacting. So it's like there's uh, a moment where they shoot a tiny sized juggernaut bullet through Thanos's brain to kill him. Insane. There uh, we get to see uh, the end of Wanda Maximoff. Oh, broke uh, in, my heart, which is crazy because like this story reminds me a lot of House of M. And when we get that panel or when we get that page, it's just like, yeah, we know. And we're going to eliminate this right now so that it can't defeat us later. Yeah, uh, there's yeah, there's some really wild stuff that happens throughout this. The uh, We get to see Namor killing Doom, the Iraqi versus Eternals, um, all kinds of cool stuff. There's a callback to the X-Men Fantastic Four story that happened right at the beginning of the Krakoan era. So this is also a reminder that nothing is forgotten uh, from House of X, Powers of Ten. All of it is coming together here. There's a great moment with Storm where she, because she's Storm, because she's the best, is not having any of this nonsense and she is fierce and terrifying and she calls sinister an abomination. And he has a great line where he's like, you say that if it's a bad thing, it's so 
wonderful. Uh, of course, this is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Wernack. Uh, the montage, the guest artists include Jeffrey Shaw, Marco Coquetto, Juan Jose Reap, David Baldeon, Travel Foreman, Carlos Gomez, Federico Vicentini, David Lopez, Josh Casara, and Stefano Caselli. Like, that is amazing. This book is packed to the gills. You know what would only make it better, Jasmine? What? If Sugarman was in it. And guess what? Sugarman makes an appearance. He does. He makes way. an appearance. The minute I saw it, I was just like, oh, Ryan's going to be so happy. Like, I was so happy. Oh, man. The other cool thing about all of this is how the event will be structured. So this is the first part. And this covers like the first five years of Sinister's reign where the, the like the sort of age of Sinister, if you will. But then the next three issues are the are set during year 10. The next three issues after that set through year 100. The next four issues wrapping up the story are year 1000. So we're getting a wild view of what this all will mean and how it will affect the Marvel Universe going forward. But that's all we have for our picks of the week, Ryan. We have to mm-hmm. move on to all the fabulous fresh floppies this week. Are you ready to talk about our awards, though? I am. What was last week's award? All right. Last week's award was the My Therapist Was Proud of Me, which came from Wasp Number 1, which, by the way, Ryan, I managed to get my Russell Dodderman variant Ooh, cover. got it. Because I had to. There's so many wasps on here. It's beautiful, beautiful work. Um, but we had a bunch of people who submitted. Uh, we... Recorded a little bit early last week, so we weren't able to get everybody who submitted their awards listed out. I think we actually had no winners by the time we recorded finished recording last week. That's correct, but yeah. Monday morning, you guys let us have it. We had so many people respond being like, I found it. I found it. I, I said I found it. Here it is. I, here's my email. And I'm like, you're right. You're not wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, the best part was this week, y'all seeing that we didn't have a winner by the time we went live last week. We're on it. Wednesday morning, we got our first winner. Super 7-5 came in saying, last year's Ant-Man was my favorite comic of 2022. Needless to say, I was hyped for the first issue of Wasp. Read it right out of the gate today, and look what I found. Getting that sweet, sweet quote right in there. And there were a bunch more. Yes, we had one from Nick who sent us an email after he found the quote saying that he recently got into reading comics as of about two months ago. And our podcast has been a great source of both inspiration and information as I, as he seeks to fuel his new hobby. Really enjoy the show with its guests and reading recommendations. Love to hear it, Nick. Thank you. And we got a great email from Surin. Surin says, so I'm from Sri Lanka and I love reading comics and I recently found your podcast. Love it. Makes me want to read everything that y'all talk about. I was so excited that I found the award for this week in the first issue that I started reading, Wasp number one. It was a good read and I want to know where the story goes. Love the dynamics with Janet and Nadia and hope I'll get a shout out. I want to make my wife hear it. Uh, so Saren's wife, please listen to the show as well. Download it on your local, uh, your favorite podcast platform. Also, Sri Lanka. That's amazing. I'm glad that we have listeners all over the world. Heck yeah. Uh, we also got an email from Karis Pollard who said, uh, damn, therapists in the Marvel Universe really need a, a pay raise. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're, you're probably really, really right. Yeah. Uh, and Matt and Meg sent us a great image of uh, a Marvel calendar. We always love seeing from Meg and the kids. Uh, and so we mentioned last week, we didn't get one before we recorded but we did get a bunch of great uh, messages from folks who found the quote after. Reginald Wayne um, said, I listen to you every week in the car on my way to work in the morning and also sent a really cute photo, uh, like drawing of Reginald and the family, which was adorable. Yes, we had so many other emails too. We had Dan Panici, we had Max Lorem and Richard Leahy who also submitted that quote. Yeah, and there was a great note from Mitch Krumputich who talked about picking the order in which they read the books. Mitch says, lately I've been rolling a D20 to decide which book to read next, and it just so happens that Moon Knight was the last thing I read before I went over to pick up my new books for this week. It's probably my favorite ongoing at the moment, so I saved the best for last. I may be emailing again very soon, depending on if the dice are kind to me. I kind of like that. I might start doing that. Yeah. And John Baird wrote in an email. Um, Yes, John, you're a bit late, but we like that you wanted to let us know you're a regular listener and love the podcast. And John says, you know what I find fun? I like to go back and listen to your shows a second time after I read the week's worth of books. And for me, it changes from a preview conversation to, 
Oh yeah, that dwarf was pretty cool. Ryan was right. And now I have the full picture. Yes, I spent a lot of time in the car. Uh, and John continues saying, shout out to Dungeon Comics in Burlington, Ontario, who basically manages my pull list for me. They know me so well. Thank you for the comic shop shout out, John. We love that. And Mitch found the quote in Wasp, said it was a fun book, and I picked up the Russell Dodderman variant, which is great. Hope you have a great week. It is so good. I'm glad you and Jasmine got that variant, Mitch. Um, we also got an email from Lex Pendragon, who actually did find it in time, except he posted it on Mastodon, which we were not checking. And I am sorry for that, Lex. Uh, we failed you. Yeah. Uh, Lex, if you want to talk to our lawyers about getting our, us on the Mastodon platform, yeah, we'll see how, about, how that goes. And uh, to Captain Geek, we love to get your emails, but you got to find the quote and send us a screenshot from your copy of the comic, digital or physical. Guesses are fun, but that's not how the game is played. Yeah. So anyway. How else do we know that you read the book? Exactly. Exactly. All right. It's time for this week's award name. What do we got? All right, this week we are giving out the Is Someone Going to Make a Spreadsheet Award? This is a good one. Yes. If you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at marvel.com. If you're among the first, I'll hit you back with something cool. Make sure you mark all your messages, your emails, your tweets, whatever it is, okay to read so we can read it on the show. Again, that is the is someone going to make a spreadsheet award, which we'll give out to all the comics coming up now, starting with All Out Avengers number five. And Derek Landy, we had a lot of fun with this series, with the um, Captain America and Falcon series uh, from a year or two ago. But Derek in this issue proved to me he writes a hell of a Spidey. Great banter, that underdog vibe, uh, but still proving to be the best hero ever because I'm going to give my is someone going to make a spreadsheet award to this issue having Spidey versus the Avengers. Just like Spidey versus the Avengers gets the award. It's so good. It's very fun. It's very fast paced. It is a blast. Spidey throwing quips, uh, fighting Captain Marvel and Thor and Blade and everybody else. It's a damn hoot. And then there's a like little tease at the end of this issue, two pages, uh, Captain America. And I will not spoil what happens, but those last two pages with Cap, I was like fist pumping. I was like, yeah, let's freaking go. Uh, next up, we have Doctor Strange, Fall Sunrise, issue number three. And this book gets weirder and weirder with each issue. It's the third issue in the series. And I'm going to give my, is someone going to make a spreadsheet award to both the lettering done by VCs Clayton Cowles and Tradmore, because there's a page that starts interlude three where it uses the art and the lettering in a very specific way to show this like transition. But also it's like, I don't know how to explain it other than like the art becomes the text. And it is very, very fascinating how they did that. And I'm really curious to know how that back and forth happened, um, especially when you have an artist that is that committed to the lettering, um, not just handing it off to a letterer. All right, we've got Midnight Suns number five wrapping up this limited series. I want to give my Is Someone Going to Make a Spreadsheet award to Wolverine burned, battered, and he's taken the fight to the big bad. And he says, you underestimate just how much this magic pisses me off. Uh, but it's uh, it's great. Plus, this issue has a very glow up Agatha moment where uh, we've seen her on the covers. We know there's a new look for Agatha, and finally we get it in this issue. Yes. Actually, really exciting stuff there. Uh, next up, we have Murder World Wolverine number one. And I'm going to give my, is someone going to make a spreadsheet award to a connection that is revealed between one of the contestants inside of Murder World and our very own Black mm. Widow. Mm. Tease, tease, tease. Very good. All right, on to Sabretooth and the Exiles number three. This one has been super fun. I really, the first, uh, I said it before, the first Sabretooth series that we got by, written by Victor Laval was was great. This one, a amping it up, it's, it's a little bit poppier, a little bit more uh, action-oriented while still being very heady and weird. And the headiness, the weird stuff, I'm going to give my award, my is someone going to make a spreadsheet award to the astral plane mining that happens in this issue, there's a big splash page in here where you see this thing in the astral plane and the like question of like, how can something physical 
come into the astral plane. It's a whole weird thing. Uh, but there's great moments in the astral plane with Toad and Sabretooth. And then there's a last page, like, head spinner moment that we won't get to here, but try not to get spoiled on it. All right, next up, we have Star Wars Dr. Aphra number 28. And I can't not give my, is someone going to make a spreadsheet award to this insane weapon that is wielded by Domina Tag. It is insane. It's called the Tag Protoblade. And it is so cool. It is such a great weapon to see in, in action in Star Wars. And just like, just the different variety of different types of weapons. And like, especially when you're like in an, a futuristic war, uh, like world where like the sky is the limit. Like, let's switch it up a bit. Yeah. Uh, also, Domina Tag is terrifying. I love her. I, I love her. I love her. Love her. Uh, on to Star Wars The High Republic Blade number two. Um, there's some great covers on this one. Giuseppe Camacoli doing the main cover is really, really cool. Um, there's So there's two main characters that we're following here, brother and sister, uh, Porter and Barash. They're Jedi, and we've been getting um, some of their story. This issue really dives into their history. You get a lot of character work about how they fit into the Jedi, how they came to like be partners and and at one point we're split apart. Um, so I, I really like all that and the sense of, of Jedi getting thrown into a situation that isn't what it seems. Really, really great. Wonderful last page threat. But I'm going to give my, is someone going to make a spreadsheet award to the, there's a page in here where Porter and Barash are marching forward and they're doing this sort of mantra. And it gives me vibes of Chirrut Imwe, Donnie Yen's character in Star Wars Rogue One. And like they're they're marching along, going into a a, he- a heated battle, and I just I loved the way it, it evoked that feeling and that love that I have for that character in this comic. Uh, next up, we have Star Wars Yoda number three, and I'm giving my is someone going to make a spreadsheet award to Yoda's commitment not to not to his like spiritual uh, practice, but to mastering an instrument that was built by the aliens that he's protecting here on this planet. A musical instrument. A musical instrument called the Tarati. And he there's a time jump in this issue, spoiler alert. But in that time jump, he returns to the planet uh, only just to show off. Be like, look, I figured it out. I, I learned how to play this instrument. And he's just like hanging out, just do, 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 do. I'm imagining it sounds like a, like a video game type, like beeps and boops. Um, I don't know what it actually sounds like, but that's what it sounds like in my head. Also, there's a moment in the issue in Star Wars Yoda number three where a character blows raspberries at Yoda cracked me up and it made me think that I don't I don't imagine anyone blowing raspberries at Yoda previously, but this, you know, probably like inspired him to be that like silly little weirdo at the beginning when he's like first meets Luke and he's bashing R2. That's the the vibe I got from this one. It was really good. Last new book of the week and nearly one of our picks, nearly one of my picks. I loved it is Thor number 30. Uh, We talk about this artist a lot, Maria Wolf. And every time she does a variant cover, it blows my freaking face off. There's one this week. It's an extreme variant. So it's supposed to be like 90s, but it's giving me 70s London punk rock Thor vibes. And I absolutely love it. It's so good. Uh, Maria Wolf can do no wrong in my eyes, but this issue is packed full of wild stuff. You've got Thor's grandfather, Boar, battling Thanos. Um, you've got uh, them fight. You've got Draugrs, which are uh, Norse zombies. Um, you've got all kinds of stuff there to talk about, like aim for their heads. I want to give my, is someone going to make a spreadsheet award to a two page spread in which Thor and Runa are battling this Draugr and you're just seeing the the violence and the horror and the nightmare of it all. But it's also like they're deep in the, the thrill of the battle on top of Corvus Glaive has stolen Thor's sister, Lausa. Uh, there's, there's great. There's a moment where someone, there's like a bleed. And then Thor says you first. And it's just like metal. It's really freaking awesome. Oh, also lightning wolves. All you need to know, Lightning Wolves, Torin Grunbeck, I know you're listening. Great freaking work. Love, love, love it. Also, I'm going to give my award to the Flying Goldfish in this because the use of like what they signify and what <sighs> oh, they are no. and how they are presented in like the mortal realm is such a cool like concept. So yeah, I love that. Delightful. 
That's all we have for the fabulous fresh floppies from this week. But we have a bunch of collections hitting shelves at your local comic shop as well. A couple that I wanted to highlight. We have Demon Days, not the Treasury Edition, but the full trade paperback edition. We have Electra Black, White, and Blood. We have Iron Cat, which is a full collection of that five-issue mini. And then Strange Academy Year One, which how could you not pick up that book? Yeah. Also, we were talking about this the other day, Jasmine. The Kang, the saga of the Once and Future Conqueror collection is a whole bunch of different stories from different comics. And it's a, probably a big, thick one. If you are curious about Kang and you want a, something in print to go check out, or even digitally, you can you can buy it on the Marvel Comics app. Kang, the saga of the Once and Future Conqueror is really good as a Kang primer for everyone out there. Yes, it collects a bunch of classic Kang stories as well as some of the more recent stuff like Symbiote, Spider-Man, King in Black, which mm-hmm. is like a great little mini series that yeah. features Kang and Spider-Man. Highly recommend yeah. that. And all those books you can read on Marvel Unlimited, where you could also check out the new Infinity Comics, the scrolling exclusive vertical comics. We have lots of stories coming this week. X-Men Unlimited, new issues of Avengers Unlimited, Spider-Verse Unlimited, Marvel's Voices Superhero Adventures with Reptile. Uh, We've got Avengers Electric Rain. We've got a Who Is Kang Infinity comic. So again, if you're curious about Kang, go check it out on Marvel Unlimited. Love Unlimited and a new launch coming real soon, Devil Dinosaur Infinity comic number one. I'm slowly realizing that we're getting all of these small Infinity comics based on all these different pets. And I feel like it's only Mm. going in one direction. Hmm. So fingers crossed. Pet Avenger Cinematic Universe, please. Please. Also new to Marvel Unlimited this week, a whole bunch of issues, Avengers 61. We've got the first issue of Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man, which is really cool, really wild. Juan Ferreira art will blow your mind if you've not been reading it. Uh, new issue of Thor, Star Wars, Darth Vader, Predator, Moon Knight, and much, much more. Check all that out on Marvel Unlimited. And then, of course, now you should also be reading on Marvel Unlimited, our reading club selection. Jasmine, once again, what do we got? Yes, we are going to be talking about Astonishing X-Men Unstoppable. That is Astonishing X-Men issues 19 through 24 and Giant Size Astonishing X-Men number one with the writer of Tiger Division, Silk, and the upcoming Spider-Gwen Shadow Clones, Emily Kim. Definitely make sure you read all those other books as well, but I cannot wait to talk about this book with her. It's my favorite. Hell yeah, let's get into it. Jasmine, it's time to get unstoppable. With our reading club this week, we're going to be talking about Astonishing X-Men Unstoppable with our guest, Emily Kim. Hello, Emily. Hey, Emily. Hello. I am so excited that you picked this. This is easily one of my all-time favorite X-Men stories, if not Kitty Mm Pride story. She's always been one of my favorite characters, and this story just solidifies why. Solidifies. Wrong choice of words, but it solidifies why I love this character so damn much. Um, can you tell us a little bit why you picked this book? Yeah. I think, um, like, growing up as a kid, my dad would always take us to the bookstore, and my brother and I, we would sit in the aisle, and, like, he would read Naruto, and I would read Saint Tail, we'd read manga. And then another day, he would take us to the comic book store, and while he was browsing my brother and I we would pick up just an issue and read it one-on-one so I in my mind there weren't extended runs of stories and comic books because I would just go read for 10 minutes and then leave but this was really the first series because my dad gave it to me to read that I read that was extended it was like long arcs and so I think this was the first long really series that I read and I was just blown away by the sophistication of the stories and what I really really loved is that it's an ensemble story and the group will break up and then you'll follow each different group and follow the different stories and then see how they come back together Mm -hmm. and you see how their emotional stories play at the same time that the action is going like I love the conversation when um Cyclops and Emma are in the ship Mm. and they're talking about the relationship, but then they're also talking about the fight. That was the first time that I realized, oh, you can have those things mirror each other and have them going at the same time and then balance all these different characters while also having a big end of the world story at the same time. And so that, I think this story just, I think changed the way I saw comic books and made me realize that you could have really long stories in a similar way to 
like extended TV shows and novels and stuff like that. So that's why. And it also made me love Kitty Pride so much because yes. I think prior to this, I, I didn't pick her out. This is what made me love her. I love all that. Um, you know, it's interesting because Jasmine and I, we read all the comics every week and we talk about them and we've been adore- you know, really into your Silk and your Tiger Division and having read, you know, all the Tiger Division issues recently and then reading this, I was, you could, we can, I can very much see the influence Absolutely. this has in terms of dynamics mm-hmm. and team, the uh, vibrancy of the, the dialogue and the, di- the dynamics of the team, uh, which is, I think one of the reasons why I love Tiger Division so much. It's, it's got Thank that yeah. feeling of this close knit group of people who will bicker, who are weird and different, but all come together for whatever their goal is. And so, yeah, it's, it's good. I'm glad you chose this. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's another huge, another huge thing that I learned from this series is that if you could take away all the characters and just read their dialogue, you could still tell who's saying it just because the dialogue conveys their personalities. And I think that's really what I tried to keep in mind with Tiger Division, like writing their voices so that if you didn't know who was saying it, if it was a dark room, you could still tell who it is. Can you like describe what those like voices sound like? Right now it's still early into like Tiger Division, right? We're Mm -hmm. only in issue three. um, And like, we've really been centering around Taiguki, but we haven't really like, gotten a whole lot of time with the other characters like what is what do those voices sound like in your head yeah i think with ted because he looks so intimidating and he is the leader i wanted him i wanted them all to be a little bit unexpected so for him i wanted him to actually be more on the goofy side like one of my favorite things about silk and spider gwen is that they are they're super cool and badass but then their internal voices are actually kind of quirky and awkward (laughs) and i wanted tay to have a little bit of that and then um for the general the unexpected thing i felt would be like if he's actually the big teddy bear and instead of yeah like a big scary intimidating guy he has sort of the teddy bear voice all the time and he just wants the team to get along in my head i think i imagined his voice to have some different quality than that's human something a little more ethereal or like growly in it and then um for gunner i think It'd be fun if he was sassy and more just like a bro. And so I actually pictured him to have a fully human voice, not like a super robotic voice. And then Lady Bright and Mr. Enigma are more akin to what they look like. Like Lady Bright's really witty and funny and Mr. Enigma is more grizzled and sort of over it. And then Luna, she's the youngest by far because all of them are actually more or less immortal like they've been around for a long time but luna's the only one who's truly her age and so i really wanted her to be the youthful voice in the group um but she can still hold her own so like one of the things i think is interesting about tiger division you kind of were handed a blank slate with some of these characters like can you tell us a little bit about that experience like what was it was it presented to you was it an option like did you seek those characters out like it seems so weird to me because we talked to so many creators who just, you know, are like working on Spider-Man or some type of character that's got so much history that they're like, okay, like I know how to play these characters. I know how to move these parts. But like, this is something where you get to start from scratch. Like, is that intimidating? Yeah, it was a little intimidating, but also really exciting. I think that's what drew me to it. Lindsay, my editor, she was the one who brought the characters um, to me that Jen McKay created. And she was like, I wanted to do this book for a while. And um, we'd already done Silk together. So we worked really well together. So then she asked me, Um, if I was interested in these characters and I read all their appearances and like you said I realized that there really wasn't much like the whole team had appeared I think in one issue and then Tay I think had appeared in one more but it was really a blank slate besides those few appearances so it's up to me and I thought that was really exciting especially since I said because of X-Men I love team books and um, there was an episode of Firefly that has like three different timelines at the same time and it shows how he recruited all of the members and initially I wanted to do a story kind of like that to show how Tay recruited all of the members but then it was Lindsay and I think Nick as well my other, my other editor who said since this is the first time we're seeing them it'd be really great to focus on in on Tay as the leader and get his story and so then I was thinking oh well what's a backstory I could create for him um it'd be really interesting if he was older. So there was a lot of time that he's had adventures over like 
this story is only the start of many, many adventures he's had. So that's why I thought it'd be interesting if he was actually born during the Korean War and um, he grew up in that era and has been alive since then. Um, and then once I sort of thought of his story back with his origins growing up and um, it was easy to then put the team into that in present day and sort of balance the two timelines. And I could sort of get that story that's similar to what I talked about with X-Men, where you're having two things going on at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk more about your other books. We'll do that after we get uh, a little bit deeper into Astonishing X-Men. We're talking about issues 19 through 24 and giant-sized Astonishing X-Men number one. The, the X-Men have to stop an intergalactic threat that could destroy the Earth and also may destroy themselves. And so they have to go up against some very tough opponents and even maybe themselves. Written by Joss Whedon with art by John Cassidy, colors by Laura Martin, lettering by Chris Eliopoulos and Joe Carmagna. Uh, terrific series. Uh, you know, so you work with Nick Lowe? Uh, I did, yes. Yeah, Nick was one of the editors here on Astonishing X-Men at the time. Um, so you can uh, thank him or blame him for any decisions he made on Astonishing. <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to point out, because I was at Marvel when these were coming out. And this was the end of uh, John and Josh's run. And so issue 19 comes out December 28th, 2006. Issue 20, February 14th, 2007. And 21, three months later, 22, three months later, 23, three months later, 24, it's four, it's about, yeah, it's about three months later. And then the finale is like four months later. So we are like a year and a half to finish the, this story, this arc, um, where in, in the series itself began in like 2003 or 2004. So it's this long period. And when I was going back, I was trying to remember when they came out. Which is my point being for any of our listeners who are like, oh, these delays, these comics, they're not coming out. 10 years later, 15 years later, all you're going to remember is the storyline. You're not going to worry about how long it took for them to come out. You want to make sure that that product, the thing, the piece of art that our, our, our creators are making comes out the way we want them to. And then we can look back years later and just be like, oh, remember that great storyline with all the pieces together? You know, it doesn't matter how long it took for it to come out, which is, you know, it did take a long time and people were pretty pissed off uh, in the fan circles, but it don't matter no more. That's also crazy for the, because some of these issues have crazy cliffhangers. Like, yeah. can you think Scott has died? Yeah. <laughs> you got to <laughs> wait three months. You have to wait. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, the, the series begins near the end of Civil War and then. It, it ends, the sto- this storyline wraps up as Secret Invasion is rolling along. Almost 20 issues of Ultimate Spider-Man are released in the same period that we get this, what That's is it, so seven funny. issues? It's, look, comics, man, it's okay. It's all right. You know, years from now, we got the stories. Next time Lindsay is giving you a hard time about deadlines, just be like, look. <laughs> it's two not years, as late as this. Six issues. <laughs> all I got to say. Um. I, you know, just rereading it now, I am reminded how much of a dynamite team John Cassidy and Laura Martin are. Like the texture, the tactile feel of the art throughout all of it is just, it, it's so good. There's so much uh, feeling and life in the art, but also at times it does that thing where some of the, the panels look like perfect snapshots. It's something, Jasmine, you and I have talked about before that that uh, that Frank quietly type of thing where he can perfectly capture a moment and make it feel still. And like you, you, you're just flashing that where, you know, sometimes you want to sh- get that feeling of motion, that kineticism, but sometimes artists like in here can do such great work of just showing a frozen moment in time to really bring yeah. you into what's happening in that panel. There's like no better example of that than in Giant Size X-Men. When you see the Fantastic Four saving the day as they're creating the like negative zone portal to transfer the bullet into the negative zone. And then you do the page flip and you just see Breed staring blankly at you with drool coming out of your mouth. You're like, oh, crap. Like that is not what because I even forgot about that. I did too. And then it gave me chills. I was like, oh, no, it's absolutely chilling. Yeah. You know, parts of this obviously reminded me a little bit of 
the Buffy the Vampire Slayer in terms of like the comedy, the heart, the group dynamics, and that those sometimes those feelings of horror. And like what you just talked about, that sense of horror and dread you get as it pulls out of Reed and everybody else. I was like, ah, so good. But the comedy I especially love, like throughout the runner of Wolverine, keep she keeps saying the the K kid. Yes. Like all those little comedy moments, even in the really dark parts. That's what I love. Yeah. You know, talking about Wolverine and Sako armor, it, you know, Wolverine has this history of mentoring, um, you know, the younger set of mutants, whether it was Kitty when she first joined or Jubilee when she first joined. And then you have armor in here and there's that connection. And Wolverine, for all his faults, is like the best dad you know he's like gruff bad dad that i absolutely love he like very clearly cares about everyone but he has his own way of sort of like tough love getting him into things um when his skin is all burned off in the scene you were talking about jasmine when she when armor picks her name he's he's still like he is literally like smoking and sizzling and his body is healing itself he's still teaching and guiding her in a, in a really great way. Yeah. Another note with the, with like the art, one of the things that I, I found really fascinating was the way that like Abigail brand takes her glasses off in this, uh, in this story. And like, immediately you can see that she's got bags under her eyes and like, it's never mentioned. It's just there. And it just like gives you so much about the character. Like that was something that they didn't have to put in there, but they did. And it just immediately gives you all that like information about who this person is. But then later on, when we see Scott, he's got a similar like bags under his eye, like type thing again, like showing that he's tired, but you don't get that payoff until much later. And it's such a good payoff when you realize that he's been like holding it back this whole time. Um, but can you imagine how, much, how exhausting that would be? Mm-hmm. I also don't like seeing Scott without glasses. It's gross. No. Thank you. <laughs> ew, ew, ew. <laughs> Um, great fashion choices in this, you know, like the costumes look good. There's the, 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 the redesigns for the characters that began at the beginning of the series come through again, uh, towards the end here. But even when beast is just hanging out and he's in his three piece suit cat style and he's got the bow tie. I'm like, he looks fresh. I also love how Emma always looks so different yes. to the rest of them. Yes. It's great. Like she never has just one outfit. She has multiple. Mm-hmm there there's a ton of great emma lines throughout this run it's i mean she at one point she says to scott if i'd known you were such a submissive i'd have gone with an entirely different wardrobe which cracked me up there's a lot of those like sexy funny provocative lines that are thrown around this in all the best ways i also love the part where you find out the conversation that they had wasn't really the conversation they had the one in their heads and makes you just go, yeah. oh, let me go back and read what that originally was. <laughs> that was so well done, mm-hmm. too. Like, I forgot that that happens. And returning to it, it's just like, yeah, like you, it makes you want to go back to those old issues, reread mm-hmm. it, and like revisualize it with the new context that's given to you. But even just like the lettering on it is done so well because you see parts of the old balloons like in the background, and then this the new bubbles kind of like overlaying them and i'm like that's such a cool way to do this and to show like yeah we're going to replay the scene but in a new way like that's something that can be done in film or tv like real easily mm-hmm. but like to do it in a comic and then do it so well i thought it was such a cool achievement like i've never seen that anywhere else it also um, i i tried imagining speaking and then thinking something else in my head in the same time i was like it's so it difficult. hurts i couldn't do that it hurts my brain um, the this reference is you two are such babies. So uh, maybe there's a more uh, modern reference, but the Sam and Diane of Beast and Brand is something I loved in this. Sam and Diane, for any of our listeners, from Cheers, seminal television program. You could probably watch it on Netflix. Uh, but the, their will they won't they vibe, and then the payoff to their bickering and their bantering is so good and so again it's like very sexually charged and funny it is delightful romance was another aspect that i was surprised is a big part of this book because again prior i didn't think comic books could have 
such adult storylines and those real storylines like that. I mean, X-Men, that's part of the the charm and the joy of X-Men, right? It's, it is a soap opera. It is romance. It is action. It is heartbreak. It is every possibility. There's so many ways you can tell an X-Men story, but still keep the core of those characters. Uh, that's why I've always, I've been in love with them for 30 years. It's the best. It's so fascinating too, like, because like as we like get to the end of this, because we have to talk about the big finale, because it is probably one of the coolest like finales in in all comics. Um, but like the thing that I find fascinating too is the way that first five issues, six or- issues of the story, like we get uh, just like the core team, right? But like then it expands, and we get the rest of the X Men, and and like we get not only that, but we get the rest of the Marvel universe, and it makes like. I, th- I found it really cool and refreshing to see, like, okay, oh, yeah, this is how the X Men fit into the rest of the Marvel universe. Like, even though you know they are like almost like in their own little universe, like when it comes to something like this, they have to communicate with the Avengers. They have to communicate with the Fantastic Four, and here are the dynamics that come to play here. And to like just see them all one by one fail and then have to come back to our core team is is crazy. Um, especially when you you've already seen what they've gone up against and. That conversation between Emma and and Kitty Pride gets me every time because there's so much that's just like unspoken there, but you can feel it. It's so palpable and like so just like brutal um, that when you get that final like page where you're you're seeing the bullet, you know, go through Earth, um, through the cities like that huge like that is an image that lives rent free in my head, like. I get chills every time I see that giant splash page. Me too. And it's so cool. It, it is a double page splash, completely silent too. It's, you know, there's no word, there's no um, captions. There's no sound effects. You can feel like the tension of an entire planet. Cause you can see this thing coming and it just goes right through. And that, Again, it's that snapshot, right? And I think that's Chicago. I was looking at it, and it I has the river going through with the bridges. Yeah. I know it's not exact, but it's not New York City. It's not. It can't be. But like, I it's I keep looking at it and staring at it, and like the river is the only thing that gets me. That I'm like, okay, maybe it's Chicago, but none of the buildings are like that recognizable. But still, yeah. like, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it could literally be Cleveland for all I care. I don't. It doesn't matter. It no, still works. I refuse it to be Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually a few wordless pages. There's just like a little bit of dialogue on the third one, but it's so emotional. Yeah, this story has a lot of, um, you know, silent panels and pages that are used to great, great effect. And the, the page turn, there's one in particular that I really, really loved. It's, um, uh, I think it's in 23, and um, where uh, Scott is being interrogated and, and they're like, what other lies have you told? And Scott smirks at the, mm-hmm. the bottom of that page. And then you get the page turn and then boom, two page spread of Cyclops unleashing. It is one of those magical things that we can get out of comic books that doesn't quite exactly translate to any other medium. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this story so much. I'm so happy you picked this. This is easily one of my favorite X-Men stories of all time. It's like like you said, like years later, you remember the story. This was the one that was clearest in my mind from when I read it as a kid. Even the, mm-hmm. the panels we just talked about of the bullet passing through the earth. Like I remembered those so clearly. Um, as we are wrapping up, we do want to make sure everybody knows uh, one of your next big Marvel projects, Spider-Gwen Shadow Clones. Can you tell us a little bit about the story, some of the new characters? I think Peach Momoko did some of the designs. Yeah, she did the designs for the clones, the Gwen clones that are going to be coming out. Um, this was the first, because Tiger Division and Silk, like we mentioned, kind of free reign for the stories. And then this one was the first one that I kind of had parameters since they did a previous um clone series with Gwen and so I was following some parameters doing more clones but this time instead of hero versions of Gwen they're villain versions of Gwen and my editor Kat said the thing she was really excited about was having like a darker side come out because it seems like such a clear um, parallel between the villain versions of her and her and as I was sort of going over her old issues I could really see that she, in a lot of ways, sees herself as a villain. And so it would just be really easy to bring out 
those feelings um, through the series if she sees villain versions of herself. And I think it was Kat's idea to use specifically spider villains like the Sinister Six. Um, and so it was really fun finding a way, a reason of why these clones might be in her world. And then the part that really drew me to the story and why I wanted to do it was because I realized Gwen, she has MJ in her life as a friend, but she really doesn't have a best friend. She doesn't, she's very much a loner and she kind of accepts that she's a loner and kind of makes her peace with that all the time. And I really wanted her to have a deep bond with someone else other than her, like really the first best friend she might've ever had. And uh, who better to do that with than a version of herself? Like it's literally her, but just slightly different because it's with a bit of a villain and maybe someone who doesn't mind that they're more of a villain. And so that's what really excited me about the story. Um, and should be coming out soon. I love that. I'm so excited. Uh, we Like I said, like Tiger Division, if it hasn't been our pick of the week, it's been a book that we've like have constantly had up as like a potential pick of the week because we already talked about like the, the team dynamics and that influence. But like to me, like re- reading those issues felt a lot more like it feels a lot like this. Like it's cool to see this influence here because I hadn't read it in a while, but also just like it reminds me of like the older Avengers titles where you get those beats. So you get those moments to really like get to meet these members and like each issue or each story has a different, like it follows a different character, but you get those moments where it comes back together. And I love that. I can't wait to see what you're doing with Spider-Gwen um, in Shadow Clones. Uh, do we, are we going to get a Shadow Cat clone? I don't think so. <laughs> Not this Dang. time. <laughs> Dang it. Uh, a lot of requests here, Jazz. A lot of requests. Next time. I, I just want more Emily Kim stories is what I want. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's so kind. Yeah. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you so much. All right. Big thanks once again to Emily Kim for coming on the show. Uh, get psyched for that uh, Spider-Gwen Shadow Clones. And man, just reread all 25 issues of that run of astonishing x-men start with number one go through 24 then hit up giant size astonishing if you've not read it already so so good and then pick up tiger division there's only two more issues that are coming out but you have plenty of time to catch up and it's such an amazing book Uh, check them out tell us what you think email us at pull list at marvel.com but right now we gotta get out of here this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Be sure to email us at pulllist at marvel.com or use the hashtag on Twitter, Marvel's Pull List, and rate, subscribe. Let us know what you think of the podcast. It helps other people find the show. We'll be back next week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>